In the holy name of Jesus, amen. At the end of the, the parable today, the rich man and Lazarus, Lazarus, poor beggar in his lifetime, receives just awful things, covered in sores, doesn't have anything, lays at the gate of the rich man. The rich man has everything he could have ever, ever asked for, wanted. He just has it all. The rich man dies, goes to hell. Lazarus dies and is carried by the angels to Abraham's side. So at the end of the story, you have to wonder, if you're thinking about it, why the Lord gives us good things in this life at all. You think that God sends you only the things that seem comfortable and all the like bad things came from somewhere else. What do you consider to be blessings? Well, money, comfort, children, good food, money, good drink, money, a nice home, a nice car, and maybe to top it all off, some more money is clearly a blessing from the Lord, right? In reality, it is the things in this life that we view as suffering it is those things that end up driving us to Christ and to the gospel. The recognition of my own sin drives me, propels me towards repentance and forgiveness. And the further realization and confession of my own unworthiness makes the light of Christ shine even brighter in all of this darkness. And yet... We are surrounded by all of this stuff, things that we thought we needed, and they end up being our own prison. So the church has dealt with this question in many ways throughout history. What do we do with all the apparently good things of this world? Well, there is the uh, severe option, I guess. Many have been driven to become monks. Give it all up. Lock yourself away. Voluntarily take up a life of suffering. Self-flagellation seems like something of, of history and legend. You know, it doesn't happen anymore. No one's like actually going out there with these like whips and, and beating themselves, are they? You would be surprised. It still happens today. Many monastic orders still require the adherents to beat themselves a uh, prescribed number every single day. Now, that particular practice does not seem helpful to me. And this is probably why I am a Lutheran pastor and not a uh, Benedictine monk or something like that. Okay. But at the same time, it's probably more helpful than, say, oh, uh, binge shopping and sitting amidst a pile of debt and stuff that you didn't need in the first place. Maybe we don't need either one of those things. Maybe my self-flagellation doesn't come with a, a, a sort of whip, but is in my own words, in my own head. But the principle stands. 
Suffering is hardly ever bad for you. And it will drive you to the cross. And if you are driven to the cross, Jesus' cross, then you are also driven to an empty tomb and a risen Lord and welcomed at a font and at an altar. So do not despair. Do not lose hope. Whatever comes your way. Because it may be that you are Lazarus, a poor beggar with nothing to your name. Blessed are the poor. Jesus opens his mouth and teaches the church, and those are the first words. Blessed are the poor. No one seeks discomfort. But when it comes upon you, when it is given to you, rejoice and bless the name of the Lord. Because in our heart of hearts, we know this to be the case that it is good for us. And you know that all of this excess is not going to save you. And it can't. Most likely, you also know that this is going to drag you away from Christ and the church, all of the extra stuff that we think we need. So wake up. No one, absolutely no one, is going to be surprised on the last day when they end up in hell. There's not going to be anyone there saying, Well, I didn't know I was supposed to help the poor. No one. This will not be a surprise. It's kind of the difference between us and our Calvinist friends. They think you never really know till the end, and you can't really be certain where you're going to end up. It's kind of luck of the draw. But do you think that the rich man in the story is surprised by this at all? He spends his life accumulating wealth only to serve himself, steps over the poor beggar on the doorstep. He ignores the things of salvation for the things of this world, and he kind of takes it for granted even because he thinks, well, I'm Abraham's child, of course I'm in. He had made himself his own God. He knew best, and so he was God. At the end of the story, that is all the man wants. He wants to be God. And he doesn't think that the word of God is sufficient for salvation. He doesn't think that the word of God is going to save anyone ever. He says, "Uh, please let me go back and warn my brothers about this so that they might repent. What's the answer? Well, they got Moses. They have the prophets. You think they need more than that? If they won't hear the word of God, there's no miracle, not even a man being raised from the dead that will convince them to repent. It is also our temptation, though, to desire miracles. We think that if we had a bunch of miracles around, it would, it would prove the faith and it would make it easier to believe all of this. If we had more miracles around... Maybe other people would believe too. Maybe our unbelieving children would come back only if they were able to see some sort of miracle. 
But how thankless are we? For Lazarus, poor Lazarus, his life is surrounded by miracles. For poor Lazarus, they're suffering with sores all over his body. It is a miracle when some sort of food falls his way, even when a dog licks his sores. You are surrounded by miracles if you have eyes to see them. Your life itself is a miracle. There's no rational explanation for it or how you came to be where you are today. Be careful. Be careful planning your life to a degree that you don't even allow for miracles to happen. The Lord will truly do what is best for you, even though it may not look like it, and even though it may look like suffering. And yet, somehow, more miracles does not mean more faith or more belief. Because we're not thankful enough for them, and we quickly forget them. No, miracles won't save you nor any amount of proof of this or that thing in the Bible. There's a sort of archaeology that will save you either. Apologetics or creation science, that won't save you either. Only the word of God. Moses and the prophets, who, by the way, all have to do with Jesus. Only the word of God only Jesus Christ himself will save you, and he will save you, for he has showered his name upon you. He has showered his word upon you with water, with spirit, and he has given you his saving word. So do you have ears to hear it? Do you have hearts to receive it? Now, this may be a hard teaching, of course, and it may be difficult to accept. It does not reach our 21st century American ears with all sorts of stuff very well. And yet, the Lord has chosen you. You. Miraculously, somehow, you walked into here today. That itself is a miracle. And the Lord has chosen you to hear this and to receive it. Even to sit at his side and to eat it. To chew on it. It's good. When Lazarus breathed his last, he was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Where you too will be taken to await resurrection when all good things will be given once and for all. The peace of God which passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.